This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We are so glad you could listen into our show today on Workers' Comp Matters. I'm attorney Alan S. Pierce. I practice law in Salem, Massachusetts, and our firm, Alan S. Pierce & Associates, represents injured workers and their families, primarily in work injury cases or Social Security disability claims. We want to thank our audience for listening today on Legal Talk Network, where we focus on topics relating to workers' compensation claims. As you probably know, there are many types of workers' comp cases and the issues they create. What we want to talk about today um, on today's program are Medicare set-aside allocations in workers' compensation cases, particularly how they impact the resolution of cases. Those of you out there that practice workers' comp, whether you represent injured workers or insurance companies or employers, if you are settling the medical expense portion of a workers' compensation case, there are certain issues that you must be aware of. Uh, our guest today is Gene Feldman. Gene is Senior Vice President of Care Management Operations for Choice in Tampa, Florida. Uh, Choice offers um, case managers, healthcare professionals, attorneys, and insurance professionals who are involved in authorizing, developing, or overseeing Medicare set-aside arrangements for injured employees who meet the criteria for Medicare set-aside allocations. Gene has written an important and thorough article in the Journal of Workers' Compensation called Navigating the Murky Waters of Medicare Set-Asides. Welcome to the show, Gene. Thanks for joining us today to talk about this complicated issue. Thank you, Alan. Uh, first of all, could you please tell us what is a Medicare set-aside allocation and why is it necessary in a workers' compensation case? What a Medicare set-aside allocation is, is really protecting Medicare's interest where Medicare should not be the primary payer. So when you have a workers' compensation claim and the injury is getting to resolution and you're trying to settle that claim because you're wanting to close it for the injured employee, the claimant, um, then with certain criteria that's been um, from a directive from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, we have to make sure that Medicare's interests are protected so that they don't end up paying for future medical that should be covered under that workers' comp uh, injury. And how did this all develop uh, that Medicare has a set up or has a uh, unit that will enforce these regulations and, and uh, require these types of allocations? The statute has actually been on the books uh, since the 1980s. Uh, it was from a memo, a policy memo put out by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, which I will call CMS going forward, uh, in July 2001. And what that policy memo stated was uh, that they now need to be submitted for approval to the centers to make sure that their interests are protected going forward when claims are being settled in workers' comp. How even though the statute has been on the books for many years, um, because Medicare is in some tight financial straits, they have been doing research through the General Accounting Office uh, looking at the monies that were inappropriately um, 
spent on Medicare when truly this should have been care- should have been uh, taken care of and resolved by the carrier that was responsible for those injuries. Just to give us some perspective, I think you cited a. Uh a report by the U.S. General Accounting Office uh, just focusing on the years 1991 and 1998. Between those years, do you recollect uh, what you indicated had been spent by the federal government on medical claims that should have been paid by the workers' comp insurers? Yes, it was uh, over $43 billion by the federal government that had paid for benefits for workers' compensation-related claims. All right, let's let's bring this back to uh, our day-to-day practice. I represent an injured worker, and uh, we're coming to a hearing to settle the claim, and an offer is made that we want to accept. Uh, when do I have to be concerned about um, Medicare set-aside allocation on that case? Okay. Typically, the adjusters on those cases should be already aware when a Medicare set-aside is needed, um, really, to get the approval by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid for by CMS, we want to get these allocations, these reports that need to have a, a bunch of different components in them uh, done prior to that uh, hearing. So the recommendation is that these can actually take anywhere the guidelines for CMS, they have them the allocation reports can be, take anywhere from 60 to 90 days for approval. And in some of the regional office, sometimes they do get backlogged, so it may take longer. So we want attorneys, uh, defense counsels, and opposing counsels, as well as adjusters, to get the allocation done sooner prior to that hearing or the actual settlement date so that we can have everything done appropriately we know that CMS has actually approved the monetary money that's going to be set aside on behalf of that um, injured employee. Okay, let's say I represent an injured employee who's 32 years old and has a bad back mm-hmm. and has been out of work for a year, and there's an issue as to his future entitlement to benefits, and I'm going to settle the case for $25,000. Do I have to do anything? No, there's actually two criterias that are uh, that they have put and have established, and there's two classes. The class one is the easiest one. That is when truly the injured employee, the claimant, is a Medicare beneficiary. So that is somebody who's over the age of 65 and has the um, they're already a Medicare beneficiary, and they may be working part time and have an injury. Those have to be done. The class two, this is where it gets into more of a difficult of time of determining it from an adjuster point of view, but it really does look at the total value of the claimant settlement. So this is going to be including indemnity, medical, and attorney's fees, and that's when it's over 250000 or greater. And, and the and is important, the claimant has a reasonable expectation of Medicare enrollment within the next 30 months from the settlement date. So you're looking at a dollar threshold, which CMS can change, and um, there have been um, some talk about changing it, but right now they are keeping it at 250 and the claimant has a reasonable expectation of Medicare enrollment. So in your, um, in your uh, example there, Alan, that you had given, with the injured employee being 31 or 32, has had the back injury, has been out of work um, for a year. It would, and your settlement is, you know, twenty-five or forty thousand. That would not um, meet the criteria. 
Okay, let's back up to the class one criteria, the claimant uh, who is a Medicare beneficiary, regardless of the settlement amount. Mm -hmm. As our listeners might know, that would be somebody over 65 on retirement and Medicare, but it could also be somebody who's 32 years old that has qualified for Social Security disability and has become eligible for Medicare. Let's assume it is still uh, a settlement of under $250,000 and the client is not a Medicare beneficiary, but let's say has an application pending for Social Security disability and might have an expectation of becoming one. Mm-hmm. Uh, would that expectation of possible Medicare uh, entitlement be enough in Class 1 to require a set-aside allocation? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, for the one who has the uh, Social Security disability pending, I would probably recommend to go ahead and do one. It, you can never be wrong in doing a Medicare set-aside or taking that extra step to protect Medicare's interests. And um, that would actually give you a better sense of the monies of how it's going to need to be um, structured or, you know, what needs to happen on the other end post-settlement. But the key of what, um, and they've actually just come out with a memo July 11th, which actually clarifies several of the other previous memos that they have sent out over the last uh, four years. And one of the things that they did look, which is a, one that um, attorneys as well as adjusters, carriers, have been very adamant about is that they actually clarified that if it is a Medicare true beneficiary and the settlement amount is less than $10,000, you do not need to submit that to the CMS anymore for approval. However, that came out because of a backlog issue that they have in trying to get these things approved. So, what it does is that for the lesser dollar amounts, you do not have to submit an allocation if they're already a uh, Medicare beneficiary, if it's 10000 or less. You do not have to submit it. However, Medicare's interest still must be taken under consideration. So our recommendation uh, that we strongly recommend is that have the carriers, the attorneys that are involved with this to go ahead and do a Medicare set-aside because at some point in the future, CMS could say, okay, we want them all again, no matter what the dollar amounts are. But just as saving the step that you do not have to get the actual submission done. Okay, to uh, perhaps scare our listeners a little more, what are the penalties for not complying for not complying, if it's found that um, uh, that no uh, protection was given or consideration was given for uh, future Medicare uh, payments, Medicare can come back and they, if they found out that, let's say, it was an injured employee who had um, a knee injury, they're in their 40s, and um, it, the settlement was done without in, any consideration. If they find out that they've gone back and they've actually made payments where Medicare covered uh, something that needed to be done in the future for that individual, they can come back and seek double damages plus interest. Against against whom? Against any parties involved. So that means the carriers. It means both attorneys, defense counsel as opposing counsel. It means injured employees. It could also mean the physicians. It also could mean the... Uh, anybody who's a party to this. There there are no restrictions of who the federal government uh, can go after to seek those damages. 
Now, um, in setting up an allocation, tell us what does this look like and what form does uh, uh, the paperwork uh, appear? It actually should be a comprehensive report looking at what currently has been done for that injured employee. They want to know ICD-9 or diagnosis codes. They want to know what that individual has. Um, does that person also have diabetes, which also could have impacted the workers' comp injury? They want to know even um, other things that are not currently covered under Medicare, and sometimes the durable medical equipment needs of a injured employee can change, as well as Medicare uh, covered items change change. Uh, Frequently, so you have to be able to keep up with that too. And they want to know what the history, the claims payment history, they want to see everything that was paid out on that claim. They want to know what the future medicals are going to be. And this is where you truly need to have somebody, um, typically with a nursing, a life care plan background, to put these things uh, together to make sure that nothing is missed. So they are also, if you did have that injured employee with the total knee replacement, they're going to want to know, to expect, you know, is a total knee going to need to be done in 10 or 15 years from now? And they're going to want to see that money in that report and what year you think it's going to be uh, needed in. They are encouraging people to get input from treating physicians, but it is not mandated. Uh, however, they want to see information from the physicians, but they have not um, mandated that yet. Uh, you know, so some companies are getting input from treating physicians and other uh, Medicare set-aside companies are not. But um, we typically do get information from the treating physicians because we want them to be involved in this process. Okay. I practice, as you know, in Massachusetts, and I will be perfectly frank with you, uh, very few of us that handle workers' compensation cases have even if not heard of Medicare set-asides, we're certainly not being asked to provide them by the insurers or by the Department of Industrial Accidents. And I think one of the reasons may be that Massachusetts has uh, open medicals. What that means is when we settle a workers' comp case by a lump sum, a medical liability for the reasonable and necessary future medical expenses remains open and the comp carrier remains liable. Does that impact on the necessity of Medicare set-aside allocations? Yes, um, it, it, it does, because typically in states like Massachusetts and Alabama and Texas where medicals can and do remain open, um, you know, the carrier is still continuing or the TPA is continuing to pay for those uh, medical needs that are coming up and, you know, that are being needed by the uh, claimant. And so in states where medical stays open, you don't necessarily see Medicare set-asides being done very frequently. In some cases, they are being done. Uh, we've done several for um, Alabama, and uh, but it is not as um, consistent as it is in states like Georgia, uh, Tennessee, the Carolinas, you know, in other states where actually the medical can be um, settled. Also in Massachusetts, uh, and I presume these other states that have open medicals, there are situations where the medicals do close, usually in contested cases mm -hmm. where causal relationship or mm -hmm. liability uh, is or are an issue. Mm -hmm. In those cases where there is a real dispute as to whether, for example, the knee injury that might require a knee replacement in the future is even related to the injury, 
uh, and you're settling that case on a disputed basis, do you still need to set up a uh, Medicare set-aside? You should, uh, only to cover the liability issues that could come back to that carrier, to the attorneys that are involved in that. What that does is give added insurance that you have uh, taken into account and you have done all uh, the things that we have to pull together for a Medicare set-aside allocation report in that you have looked and reviewed thoroughly that there are, at this time, there are no um, impact for Medicare in the future that you've taken this in. And when you have that documentation there, you know, if something changes in the future, you have it, it's in your case file, and you can present it to um, CMS if they think that, wait a minute, we shouldn't, you know, be necessarily paying for this, but you're going to say, yes, we have taken this into consideration. And we still submit those to for approval for CMS. But what that does is that it gives them the heads up that, hey, this um, may be part of the claim, may be controverted, um, there's issues here, um, they've done a thorough job of sorting this out, you know, this does not belong to the workers' comp carrier, you know, or there may be some liability, um, you know, claims too for some of this if there's some product liability in here too. But you really want to make sure on those more complicated claims like that um, to sort through those issues and truly your Medicare set-aside partner um, should be able to help put all of that together, and you should go ahead and submit that to CMS. One of the things you mentioned earlier was the time frame, and as you probably know, workers' compensation cases are not static. They sometimes settle very quickly. Oftentimes there are other liens uh, involved or the payment of weekly benefits. Uh, I'm concerned about the 60 or 90 days Mm -hmm. that you say the uh, CMS has as a time frame. Mm -hmm. How quickly can that move along, and and where do you – where are these uh, offices located? Well, there's 10 offices located throughout the United States, and different states report into the regional offices. Uh, a year ago last May, they actually implemented a new procedure where all Medicare set-asides actually get submitted through a, a subcontractor that they have contracted within this New York. So all uh, CMS um, Medicare set-asides are submitted through that one um, contractor, it's called COBC, Contractor of uh, Benefit Coordinator in New York, then they actually input some information into their system, and then they send it out to the appropriate regional office. So um, there's offices in um, Chicago, uh, Atlanta, um, Denver, Dallas, um, San Francisco, and so the states are assigned the different regional offices, and some of the regional offices are able to get things through relatively quickly if they don't have high volume. In the southeast where Atlanta's handling uh, 10 to 12 states, they have gotten backed up. And um, this winter into spring, they're actually the, it was taking almost eight months for approval out of this one regional office where fortunately now that has uh, timeframes have uh, gone back to what their standards are and they're able to turn these around, you know, within the 60 to 90 days. There's different um, uh, philosophies with the time frames, and we know that it impacts the settlement dates and, and impacts everybody's interest in these things. The, the best thing is to try to get these done early 
and submitted well before the actual settlement date, that's the best-case scenario, but that doesn't always happen. In workers' comp, there's a lot of things we can't control. But if you do go ahead and settle the claim without having CMS's approval, you still want to submit that to CMS, but you also want to make sure that in your settlement documents that you have language in there that would um, include if um, the if CMS's recommendation came back, let's say for an additional ten thousand or twenty thousand uh, dollars into the Medicare set aside uh, monies, that you would go back and have that be adjusted. Okay, Jane, we're going to pick up on that in a minute. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break and come back to talk about case of the day as we put Jane to the test. We'll be right back. We'll be right back on the Legal Talk Network with more from our host, attorney Alan S. Pierce, and his guest on Workers' Comp Matters, where we focus on the people and legal issues in workers' comp cases. You can listen to Workers' Comp Matters anytime on your computer or download the show to listen later. We invite you to join as a member to Legal Talk Network so you can get updates on our upcoming Internet radio shows. At the Legal Talk Network, we're pleased to tell you that it is our privilege to announce a series of programs with the legendary F. Lee Bailey, available soon for listening exclusively here on the Legal Talk Network. You'll hear F. Lee Bailey talk about the role of investigation and his brilliant defense strategy in cases such as the Boston Strangler, Dr. Sam Shepard, Patty Hearst, Captain Ernest Medina, and of course, O.J. Simpson. You'll also hear F. Lee Bailey talk about several lesser-known trials, personal anecdotes, and his thoughts about trial lawyers as the gatekeepers of the truth in the American justice system. It's called Conversations with F. Lee Bailey, the essence of investigation. You won't want to miss this. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters, where we are discussing workers' comp cases and the law. Hi, I'm attorney Alan Pierce. Joining me today is Gene Feldman, Senior Vice President of Care Management for Choice, a firm in Tampa, Florida. Gene is an expert in Medicare set-asides, which we have been discussing. Thanks again, Gene, for being here. We're going to change gears a bit. And, Gene, we have a feature on Workers' Comp Matters called, called Case of the Day. And I'm going to discuss a case and uh, put you a bit on the hot seat, if you don't mind, Gene. Okay. You can give us your opinion as to how this case turned out. Today's case, Gene, comes from the Supreme Court of Alabama, coincidentally enough, since that's one of the states you mentioned. It's a case of Curtis Holton and Mastic, North America. Let me tell you what happened, Gene. Curtis was a fiber optic installer for Mastic, North America. He and his crew, on a hot summer day, were installing fiber optic cable near a cool river. Their supervisor suggested they take a swimming break. Curtis decided to jump into the river swinging on a rope. He fell, he broke his neck, and was rendered a quadriplegic. A claim was brought for workers' compensation. The compensation board and an appeals court denied compensation benefits, holding that Curtis engaged in an unreasonably dangerous activity, an activity which did not arise out of his employment as a cable installer. Curtis appealed the case to the Supreme Court of Alabama. How do you think they ruled? Well, Alan, as you know, I'm not an attorney. I know you're not. So I am going to say that up front. Um, but given the circumstances of 
that case, um, since the employer recommended taking a swim to cool off, even though it was dangerous what that person chose to do to swing on the rope, my thoughts, um, and I'm not a legal person on this aspect at all, but I would think that the Supreme Court might have overturned that. Jean, you're absolutely right. The Supreme Court not only reversed the appeals court finding that Curtis indeed was fulfilling the duties of his employment, but as you said, the swimming break was authorized and suggested by his supervisor in the case to a large part turned on that fact. Jean, getting back to Medicare set-asides for the moment, um, what do you do? Is Are you somebody and is your company uh, a resource that claimant attorneys such as myself here in Massachusetts might turn uh, when faced with a settlement that would require mm-hmm. allocating monies? Yes. Um, actually, we we are easily accessible, and we actually work with defense counsels. We work direct with opposing counsels, with plaintiff attorneys, and have actually had to help them sort through things, and even um, where we've gotten asked to help sort through with other Medicare set-aside allocations that have been done by other companies and uh, where they may have some questions and really need some more expert opinions um, on those. So we are we do provide national services uh, throughout the United States and including Hawaii and Alaska, um, but we are available. Um, and I think it is important as the attorneys are getting more involved in these, um, you know, it impacts all of us. And we have uh, a strong desire to protect everyone's stake uh, in this. Jean, how would we contact you? Tell us uh, where you're located. Perhaps give us your phone or email or mailing Mm -hmm. address. Well, we're located. Our headquarters is in Tampa, Florida. And my email address, it's jfeldman, F-E-L-D-M-A-N, at choice, M-E-D, mgt.com so it's choice medmgt.com that would be choice med management the abbreviation okay Mm -hmm. and our toll-free number it's 1-888-823-5377 gene who mostly are your clients are are the clients primarily the attorneys representing the injured workers or the insurers who's usually the moving party on these um, the moving party on these typically are defense counsels. Um, I would say they're probably 80% of what we get, although we do get direct referrals from opposing counsel because typically this is something where everybody is trying to get this done and working together. So there's a vested interest in defense counsel, but there's also an invested interest on uh, plaintiff or opposing counsel because we want to make sure that the right things are done for this injured employee. And so we are also getting direct referrals from uh, plaintiff attorneys direct. Um, Typically, most large carriers, uh, TPAs, have uh, vendor panels that really give the adjusters to make the decision of whether what company they're going to use for an MSA. Uh, Some of the large carriers are trying to pull this in-house themselves. And uh, the thing of uh, what particularly is happening in the southeast as well as into some of the other states, is that um, now that this is ev- everybody is under the gun, it's a federal statute, we need to make sure that Medicare's interests are protected. Uh, there's a lot of people getting into this industry that don't really have the background 
uh, to be doing this. Um, we use nurses to do these things. You need that medical expertise. Uh, some people are using adjusters. Other people are using maybe paralegals and, and that kind of thing. Um, typically, uh, there, is, there should be nursing involved in making these allocations to make sure that every aspect is covered and uh, the right things are being looked at and to make sure that if we may uncover some other causality things as we're combing through some of these medical records and the payment histories that the adjuster may have forgotten about or inherited um, a tail claim. You know, business moves all the time. Well, Jean, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on Workers' Comp Matters. Jean, as I mentioned, is the author of an, uh, an excellent piece called Navigating the Murky Waters of Medicare Set-Asides, published by the Journal of Workers' Compensation. If any of you out there would like a copy, you could contact me through the Legal Talk Network or send me an email at Al A. Pierce, that's A-P-I-E-R-C-E, at alanspierce.com, and I will send you a copy of Jean's excellent article. Gene, enjoy the rest of the day. We hope you'll join us for another Workers' Comp Matters show. Some other important topics on Workers' Comp Matters programs are undocumented workers, representing workers with latex allergies. Hope you'll join us soon for these shows, too. Thanks for listening today. I'm Attorney Alan Pierce. Thank you, Alan. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network. Hosted by Attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other workers' comp matter shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.